This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit voicesofwrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway in a brand new day. Gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate Rewind and Rewatch, episode 33, covering Untouchable 2012 from the Gibraltar Trade Center in Taylor, Michigan on July 28th, 2012. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed or on the Open the Voice Gate feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can find us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to redcircle.com to our to our podcast webpage, and you click the red button, and you get a prompt to do a one-time or reoccurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we certainly appreciate it, and a special thank you to all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts, it's your old pal Iron Mike Spears, and being joined as always by my co-host Case Lowe. And Case, for about like 15 weeks, we've been wondering when the slide is, when the slide is, when the slide is, and buddy, if we weren't certain now, Untouchable 2012 Oh boy, this is some real dire DGUSA. Mike, as far as I'm concerned, Drangate USA is dead. I will gladly take a 25-minute Austin Aries match. I'll even bring back Tommy Dreamer and maybe, maybe Sabu. I'm not sure if I'll go that far, but Untouchable 2012. Yeah, that, that might be a bridge too far, dude. That might be know, a bridge too far. We're living in in an extremist time and sometimes my hot takes are perhaps a little too hot and even I can't handle the heat. So I, I apologize for for speaking Sabu's name into existence as we did get rid of him at Mercury Rising 2012 on the prior show we talked about, but Untouchable 2012 is clearly the final demarcation point up until we hit the final string of shows where there was no Dragon Gate talent on the shows. This is Evolve Light. It's Evolve with a few Japanese guys. I mean, it is such a stark contrast from even WrestleMania weekend with Pac and Mochizuki. And I'll even say Loki, just because he's a star, to go to this show in this location, in this building, with the ring that looked the way it did, with the entranceway that looked the way it did, with the show being what it was. Mike, we're in trouble. Yeah, so... It's something that, I mean, 
They held no shows between WrestleMania weekend and what would be their third anniversary weekend. And it's probably for a good reason. And as we talked about last show, there's only three native Japanese wrestlers on the show. Uh, Ricochet, who was basically full-time at the time, was being flown in. So was Rich Swan. So that's that's five people from Dragon Gate Japan proper. And then the rest of the show... Case, I know you've been looking at the Evolve shows. And how different would you call the remainder of the roster? It really is Evolve featuring some Dragon Gate wrestlers at this point. It's literally Evolve featuring Dragon Gate wrestlers, and it's a period of Evolve where I think they were arguably at their worst. I mean, when Evolve folded, when the sale was announced, I wrote what I think is, to my knowledge, the most comprehensive history of Evolve article up on VoicesOfWrestling.com because I've seen more Evolve than most people. Not a badge of honor I wear proudly, but it is a badge that I, I am forced to display and I look at kind of the different periods of Evolve, and I checked out once it became an NXT feeder system. I completely understood and respected Gabe for cashing in, for drawing houses, for doing what he did. That product was not for me, though. I had no interest in that. So when I wrote the match recommendations in that article for 2018 onwards, I farmed those out to Joe Lanza because I know he was watching them. I said, Joe, I I saw nothing of the Walter Adam Cole, uh, the Skulk era of, of Evolve. Can you help me out here? The other period of Evolve that I was admittedly not too familiar with was really these six shows that we have to talk about here because Evolve ran three times in 2011. The entire year they ran three shows, and in between WrestleMania weekend and the third anniversary weekend for Dragon Gate USA, Evolve ran six times, and because we are now in the collaborative universe, the WWN Live umbrella, those Evolve shows pertain directly to the booking of these Drangate USA shows. So next week, we'll do a lot of talk about what was going on in Japan, Larry Dallas's first Japanese tour, or Japan tour, rather, Dead or Alive 2012, Kobe World 2012, Pox Farewell. But this week, we need to keep it locked in on Evolve, because we have six shows to go over. Yeah, and j- just to give a sense, as you were going to get to the shows, how tied in are there? There are two Open the Freedom Gate title matches during those shows. And one particularly pretty big one as well. So we're fully in this thing. Next week we'll have a lot more about this. There's some interesting stuff that we'll, t- that we'll sprinkle in throughout the show. But we're just going to take the timeline talking about Evolve here. So Case, let's get in our way with, with what, what, what Gabe was up to in, the, in between Mania Weekend and up in Taylor. Or is it Taylor, Michigan? It was Taylor, Michigan, I believe. Taylor, I, Michigan. I, I, believe yes. I, I believe if it was Taylor, Michigan, I lived with someone who was born in Taylor, Michigan. I'm just now drawing this connection, lived with this person <laughs> for two years, probably need to send a text. I'm assuming they weren't at this show, but they can probably tell me a little bit about the, uh, what was it, the Gibble Char Trade Center? What was the name of this venue? Gibraltar. Yeah, Gibraltar. that was close. Uh, whatever. G- Gibble Char? <laughs> G- that's not a Pokemon, man. No, it kind of rhymed with Klobuchar, uh, if we need, to, we need to do some political commentary here. But in terms of... No, no, we don't need to do any political commentary right now just 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 give a sense of why i say this we're doing this on election night we are we are unplugged right now so no political commentary i'm really stressed out i really and i'm sure it's only gotten worse in the two weeks uh 
between now and when this episode will come out. But listeners, I'm really stressed out right now for no reason. But anyways, let's talk about a simpler time in the indie wrestling universe. We're talking about Evolve 12 from Toronto, Ontario, Canada at the Doubletree. I'm a big Doubletree fan. Mike, what about you? You know, uh, I am a... uh... I, I read this really weird article about how baseball writers were all big about Marriott's. Did you ever read this article? <laughs> no, but I I am so on board with this. That is a theory that I completely subscribe to already. Well, well like, just the thesis of it was because, like, the Marriott have, like, the great rewards program. Mm. So they, like, get to a certain point, and that's why, like, a lot of, like, the baseball writers go to Marriott. They go do Marriott's, and it's just kind of, like, a wild thing. Uh my hotel predilections, you know what? I I I like a good uh Renaissance Inn. You know, you you get like the and the in room suite. You know, it has like a different seating area. You get a fridge. I like that. I do not like where I stayed at last year for uh, All Out. Did did I tell you about that case where I stayed for All Out? I don't know. I don't remember this. If you did, so I did a price line for this. Let, let me see if I can pull up my Chicago itinerary so I can pull this thing up. And I I did a itinerary where I was at the Hawthorne Suites by Wyndham in Hoffman Estates. And not to speak ill of Hoffman Estates and not to speak ill of Hawthorne Suites by Wyndham, but it really had like big like dad going through the diver- divorce energy and layout <laughs> there. Like to the extent where like it did have a kitchenette, but the salt and pepper shakers had individual like salt and pepper packets in there like it was like they they did not want people to steal the salt so they put them in packets inside the shakers why i do not know so those are my big hotel takes right now look i know i sound privileged talking about how much i love the double tree my father is a traveling salesman of sorts so he has quite the hotel reward system kind of built into his job so look maybe i stayed at a double tree in anaheim california for a few days and loved it had the time of my life because i had it was just such a beautiful experience but as for the evolve wrestling show which was paired with a pro wrestling superstars wrestle reunion weekend that pws show by the way El Generico versus Michael Elgin, Harry Smith versus Dave Finley, and Vader versus Necro Butcher as some of the featured matches there. But as for the Evolve universe, the first thing to note is that the Gentleman's Club formed on this show. Chuck Taylor obviously left Ronin at the end of the Miami weekend, said that he was bringing a group of guys that he liked to hang out with. Those guys turned out to be Jake Manning and Drew Gulak. They lost in the opening match to the Super Smash Brothers. Elsewhere on this show, Loki defeated El Generico. There was a three-way match with Chuck Taylor defeating Johnny Gargano and Samurai Del Sol. He pinned both men. And the main event, Finley versus Callahan 2. Finley won yet again to put him up 2-0 in the series. A show that I've seen, but I really don't have any strong memories from it. I mean, I was not a big evolve or uh what was it pro wrestling superstars person so no as i don't other than gentlemen's club was a wild thing because of i think most of those videos got scrubbed for the internet but chuck taylor really was feeling his oats for the for the videos he put up at these times yeah there is nothing harder to track than chuck taylor's digital history that meant you know mike i recently 
deleted a bunch of tweets. I, I signed up for a program and just kind of got rid of some stuff just in case employers were stooping ground. I don't know what's out there. I don't really want to know. I just know that I needed to delete some tweets. Chuck Taylor has been in that position many times. As we continue along with the Evolve timeline, we go to a, a Southern double shot in the middle of May, Evolve 12, which was May 11, 2012. This show featured Loki versus Jigsaw in the match where Loki complained that Jigsaw wasn't a skilled enough striker for him to be in the ring with. You also had on this show <laughs> Finley versus John Davis, where Finley won, Ricochet defeating El Generico in a match that Loki was on commentary for, which I'm sure that was absolutely delightful. And the main event, the feud that had been raging on for just about a year at this point, it finally concluded in Evolve, not Drangit USA. The Evolutions and match, AR Fox defeating Sammy Callahan. Mike, do you remember the rules of the Evolutions and match? Oh, geez. I know it's Gabe, so it's super convoluted. Uh, I'm going to take a wild guess. I'm probably wrong here. Uh, no ropes. Uh, pinfalls can happen anywhere. Uh, no DQ. Um, no canvas, and uh, they wrestled on the boards. No, that was like the terrorist squad of pain match or something that Gulak and Thatcher did a few years later. The okay, Evolution's okay. End match. I also know it's not called that, but I can't think of the name, and I know I'm actually kind of close. But the Evolution's End match was Evolve Rules inside the ring, no DQ on the outside of the ring. The most convoluted and rather pointless gimmick match I think there's ever been. So... Don't bring that chair inside the ring. You'll be disqualified. However, have at it at ringside. That table? So, so technically, would it be a disqualification if you did like a back body drop over the top rope, sending someone through the timekeeper's table? I don't think so because they do a spot in the match where they superplex each other off of a ladder from the outside to the inside, and that wasn't a disqualification. Okay. All right. There we go. Yeah, so uh, rough, just, rough, just stuff, infuriating. rough stuff on Evolve 12, and then Evolve 13 opened with a four-way match where the winner would go on to wrestle Johnny Gargano for the Open the Freedom Gate title that night. AR Fox went over Jigsaw, Ricochet, and Samurai Del Sol. And then elsewhere on the card, Loki defeated John Davis, El Generico defeated Sammy Callahan, and then your main event, Gargano defended the Freedom Gate belt against AR Fox. So, Mike, you look at this weekend where you've got Finley, You've got John Davis, you've got Loki, you've got Ricochet, you've got El Generico, you've got Sammy Callahan, you've got Johnny Gargano, and these two shows, one Evolve 12 being uh, in uh, almost Spears territory, Charlotte, North Carolina, and the other one being in Concord, North Carolina, both of these shows drew just over 100 fans each. Yeah, no, that makes sense for that area. Concord is a exurb of... Uh... Charlotte, it's basically, the, the, this will sound really convoluted, but go with me on this. It, it, it's right next to where all the NASCAR teams have their facilities, Concord. And also, I think that's where the Charlotte Motor Speedway is. So it's like in the area, but not really. So I'm following. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, you even booked a lot of of Carolina guys there. I mean, Conley is a Carolina guy. Manning, Carolina guy. Page is from Virginia. But like, no, no shit, like... You, you draw this, and the Carolinas are tough to run. Like, I know we've talked about this before, but that there's no big surprise for me hearing that that's how badly they, they drew there. 
it's weird. Like, Gabe has never been able to really draw anywhere, which has always been his biggest fault as a booker. Like, critically acclaimed stuff, but he can't get people in the building. But even for Gabe standards, he has always bombed miserably in the Carolinas. Yeah, and it's... I, I mean, it's like a whole thing about how the Southeast is wrestling-wise, especially since now we are in the era where one promotion's basically basing their entire like training and talent development around like people they found in the Southeast. And it's like, they're there. It's just like, case, you know, what's the best. What are the two things that have drawn best in the Carolinas and Georgia over the last, like forever. That was not like ring of, that's not ring of honor or WWE. It's Lucha shows, isn't it? Lucha shows and Crockett tribute shows. (laughs) My two favorite forms of wrestling, obviously. And let me tell you, those Crockett, I've been to other indie shows in the area. Nothing draws like 800 people into the Spartanburg War Memorial because they get to see Magnum TA and then they get to see the final conflict between uh, Baby Doll and James Cornette. With that in mind, that charming anecdote that has me feared uh, for wrestling fans coast to coast, we do have a Florida triple shot to discuss also at the end of June, June 28th, 29th, and 30th with Evolve 14. I believe this was the promotion's debut at the Orpheum in Ybor City, Florida, a venue that I I kind of associate directly with WWN Live and Evolve now. And on these shows, we had the second annual style battle tournament. The first night saw John Davis defeating Tommy Taylor and Bobby Fish defeating A.R. Fox in the first round matches of a round-robin tournament. And then your main event, El Generico defeated Samurai Del Sol. That match received such rave reviews that they would do it again the next night at Evolve 15 in St. Petersburg, where Del Sol would beat Generico. Then in the style battle, you had Bobby Fish moving to four points, defeating Tommy Taylor, and John Davis moving to four points, defeating A.R. Fox. And your main event of Evolve 15, Evolve 15, the... Feud that was the cornerstone of your WrestleMania weekend for Dragon Gate USA. Johnny Gargano defended the Open the Freedom Gate title against Chuck Taylor. Yeah, no, this is when when I was talking about like how some things in this was just like you're burning some stuff here. This is something that they burned here that they really had no reason to ever be building. But like you burned this here instead of in Michigan or in Chicago where you don't do a title match but you do a different stipulation match because you you realize oh, wait, we can't have this happen. It's just infuriating. You, you know, like, we had to have this match here, so we had to do it in Chicago, but we've already done the big one. So it's like, what are we doing here? I know I've seen Evolve 14. I don't remember if I saw Taylor versus Gargano and the second Generico Del Sol match. I watched the, like, the DVD preview YouTube video for it, and it didn't... It didn't look familiar, and I know I have not seen Evolve 16. The finals of the Style Battle Tournament, Jacksonville, Florida, uh, Davis versus Fish headlined a show that had Samurai Del Sol beating Chuck Taylor in the semi-main event, and then your Style Battle Final. John Davis defeats Bobby Fish. This would be Bobby Fish's last match in the WWN Live Universe, and John Davis, after losing to Loki, after losing to Fit Finlay, went undefeated in style battle and capped off uh, what seemed like a real middling affair of, of three shows that weekend. Uh, I don't know how you're saying this is a middling show. I'm just looking at the people on here. You have some of your main men here, Case. You got Mike Cruz. You got Blaine Rage. 
Tommy Taylor? Well, look, Blaine Rage, not one of my guys. Mike Cruz is my guy. This was the last time Mike Cruz was uh, used as well, which obviously makes sense why the promotion went downhill from here because they weren't booking Mike Cruz because Gabe Sapolsky didn't like his face. But the uh, seven-minute Jake Manning versus Blaine Rage match, I am going to have to head out on that one. That just <laughs> – look, I, I feel really bad because Jake Manning – genuinely seems like such a nice person. But I have a feeling over the next few shows, we are going to be ripping into Jake Manning, and it's not his fault, and it's not personal. I just hate him as a professional wrestler. It, it It's something where, I mean, this is... We talked a lot about this about this as like a, like a microcosm for indies, right? Like how this promotion started in like the flux of, Danielson is on his way out, and he's like the last member of like that first wave of Indies post WCW, right? Like we've talked about that, and now we're kind of like weirdly in the second at the end of the second wave, and it's gonna be a while before. And it's something that I that I feel like that Gargano, when we get into the show itself, it's real interesting him acknowledging this in a way, and you know, like having like these people on the show, like Jake Manning, kind of further illustrates it. I mean. It's just kind of where wrestling was right there, especially in independence. We're going to briefly move to Japan for something that directly pertains to this set of Dragon USA shows. We have to look at the April 12th Cork and Hall show in which Yamato and Shingo defeated Kness and Gamma. Yamato, after the match, talked about how he didn't plan on entering a unit in 2012. He just wanted to team with Takagi on their own, but somehow they ended up with uh, Chihiro Tabanaga at the time and Yosuke Watanabe tagging along with them. And he said that even though Tamanaga was going bald at such a young age, he had high potential. So Yamato was going to roll with it. And then we have the April 19th Kobe Sambo Hall show in which Chihiro Tamanaga defeated Mondai Ryu in a Caballera and Nombre Contra Musica match. Where if Tamanaga won, Ryu would have to lose his entrance theme and uh, Tamanaga could take it if he wanted to. And if Mondai Ryu won, Tamanaga would lose his hair and would have to be renamed to the English equivalent of Forever Ball Chihiro. So punch Tamanaga in his hair, a reoccurring theme in the Drangate USA, in the Drangate rather, in the Drangate universe, and then after that match, Yamato cut a promo congratulating Tamanaga on his win. Tamanaga said that it was great, but he wanted to invite someone else to the unit as well. That person was the third iteration of Super Shenlong, and so we now have Shingo Yamato, Super Shinlong, and Chihiro Tamanaga forming the unit Akatsuki, which means dawn or daybreak. Yeah, and this is something that, like, Shingo, at least for his Bayface units, he, had, of course, had Kamikaze, meaning Divine Win, and now he has Daybreak. Like, it, it's something that, like, when he has, like, these images, when he has, like, these units in, these, in their images, like, actually, interestingly enough, in the VOW Discord, someone is asking about, like, how do... Units kind of come this way, and it was in the uh, frame of context case of heal units, and it's like, well, they take after their leader. Red is like Ada, Berserk was like Shingo, and then Mad Blanky was was like Hulk and Akira, and then and then Yamato, and it carries over the face stuff. Like that's very much something in Shingo's image. So interesting thing. Um, I do feel a little bit of kinship of Punch Monaga as someone who's not. I, I I'll say my hairline has had better days. I. Famously made a uh, statement to my friends and family that if I made it to 30 with most of my hair, I'd never complain. And I did. 
but I understand what where, where he comes from, and, and I feel his torment that he got, and he's gonna have more torment before the end of the show, or at least the series. Versus, yes, yes, yeah, so certainly, yeah. Uh, two quick notes from the Wrestling Observer newsletter before we move on to Untouchable 2012. I should note also. Since the first episode, I have been updating people on the Dragon Gate USA Newswire, which has been powered by the Wayback Machine. It seems we've hit a bump in the road where the Dragon Gate USA oh, no. News Alerts oh, no. Case. are no longer archived on the Wayback Machine. So I know at some point I start getting the emails. I'm an email subscriber, but we are looking at another year in the promotion's history before that happens. So. I think we're going to be relying a lot more on Dave in the future. For instance, the July 16th Wrestling Observer where he noted there was talk in late January from the ROH side about WWN Live taking over for GoFindLive.tv as their iPay-Per-View provider. The WWN Live people made a proposal to ROH but never heard back. Jim Cornette called Gabe Sapolsky about getting an award on the 10th anniversary show in New York, the show where Nigel McGinnis mentioned Sapolsky as one of the key people who built the company, and they spoke at the time. The idea for the award was going to lead to an angle at the show. Dave says he doesn't know the details, but it was not going to be Drangit USA versus Ring of Honor, and Sapolsky turned down the idea. He countered with an idea of returning to the company since it's different management than the ones who fired him a few years ago, but he and Cornette, and the fact that Gabe and Cornette worked together for a long time, but Ring of Honor was not interested. I will also read you this passage from the 730 2012 Wrestling Observer Newsletter before I get your opinions, Mike, in which Dave says, Gabe Sapolsky's reasons for not doing the angle proposed by Jim Cornette included that he would shake hands with Carrie Silken and complain that his Evolve guys were calling Ring of Honor but not getting their phone calls returned. So the genesis of the angle was that his guys were minor leaguers and being ignored, and he didn't feel that that would help his company at all. He said that it was, uh, he, he said uh, that is why it was turned down. He also questioned why he should shake hands with Silken says if they were going to do any sort of angle, they could use the legit issues with Silken firing him years back after he built the company as a part of the angle. Dave says, yeah, I can see that. It's not exactly Eric Bischoff hugging Vince McMahon on Raw, but it's the same basic concept. Sapolsky also noted he had difficulty when he booked Kevin Steen last summer because Ring of Honor was not using Steen, but he was still under ROH contract. So Ring of Honor told Evolve that they could use Steen, but he could not job. He would have to work in street clothes and his match could not be advertised ahead of time. So I know Mike will talk a, a lot next week about the Masato Yoshino thing that is sort of hovering over this week, and it even comes up on this show. But to get a, a picture of the outside of the ring antics that were sort of looming over Gabe, Drangit USA, and Evolve at the time, it is partially a title holder saying, I'm good, I don't want to work here anymore, and it is partially the Gabe Sapolsky Ring of Honor drama about whether or not Gabe would return to the company that he helped build. Yeah, and it's something that, like, even say, even, like, my personal opinions of Gabe, like, that's quantified, like, the bad decision to make, you know? Like, showing up and, like, going, like, X, Y, Z, oh, wait, you're going to be someone, oh, you're going to come in and we're going to talk about your new Meyer League promotion, not your real one, your my, not, like, ROH, because you left and you did this thing, and it's much, and it's much lower, you need our help. Like, why would you go do that? Like especially given like the real history and it's like hey you were mad about how long shows were going you were mad that ticket sales weren't going and you're mad because 
you wanted to disband this relationship that I've kept up independently. Like those were like the, the three cornerstones we really talked about in the first episode, correct? Like, like that's a lot more compelling than minor league wrestlers from like a guy who was fired, not getting calls. Like he's right there. But at the same time, it's like, it's, it, it just wouldn't mesh. And it's definitely like seeing like that. We've talked about like how ring of honor and dragon gate USA diverged. And yes, they, so did like so much to the point that they were doing this as a Valve thing and not Dragon Gate USA. It's just wild. This is probably not the space to get into a, a, a large piece on this, but Ring of Honor in 2012 should probably be looked at from start to finish one year and really analyzed in depth because the first, I, I, I guess, six months of the promotion that year, so from January to June or July, it just. It's like they're throwing so much stuff against the wall between the Ring of Honor versus Chikara feud that was happening at this time, the Kevin Steen and Davey Richards beef that was part shoot, part work. Cornette is still there, and it is such a heavy Cornette presence. They're still taping almost all of their TV in that awful, awful arena in Baltimore. It just, like, I hate Ring of Honor at this time period. I hate the aesthetic. I hate the way it's presented, and look, certainly we're about to talk about a show that I did not enjoy at all, but Gabe was in the right completely by turning down that idea. And really in 2012, I just, I think I would still rather be with Evolve and Gabe and Dragon Gate USA than trying to, to attach myself to Ring of Honor. Now you'd want to talk about 2013, especially 2014 Ring of Honor. It's a different conversation. I really like the products those year, but 2012, we are still knee deep in the Cornette era and it just does not work as a promotion. It's a very frustrating watch whenever I find myself on the rare occasion that I am watching 2012 Ring of Honor in the current day, but it still happens. It still happens. And, uh, well, 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 like one thing I want to jump in on here, and you talk about like a wrestler there. Gabe already has the track record, and Gabe brought that track record that if you were a wrestler who was trying to go to WWE, I'm not saying it's through 2020's eyes, but like in 2012, Gabe has basically created a path to WWE. When Sinclair took over, like there was all kinds of, of shit going on between like trying to get to WWE from Ring of Honor. Like if you wanted to go to WWE, Gabe was the path to go. So yeah, you you go evolve, you go do this, you deal. With, You'll deal with the you'll deal with the shitty Gibraltar Trade Center, and you'd go kind of suck it up because you know that that he at least already had the ends at that time. Oh, Gabe is the guy until uh, 2014 Bola, I guess, because I think like of the 24 guys in that lineup, I think 20 of them have been contracted talent in the the six years between. It's such an insane tournament to look back on, but no, I mean, look at. The early, I guess the Pierce era and the early Sinclair era of Ring of Honor, no one's getting signed from that group of talent. Like, Tyler Black is the main one, but Tyler Black was always a Gabe guy. He was always looked at as a Gabe guy. But that's an era where it's Davey, Eddie, Roddy being, like, the focal point of Ring of Honor. And look, I love Roderick Strong. He's probably one of my 15 favorite wrestlers ever. I lose my mind for high-level Roderick Strong matches. If you would have told me even five years ago, hey, Roddy's going to go to WWE, he's going to be a tag team champion, and he's going to kill it, 
I, I just, I, I can't even fathom that argument. This was, I mean, Ring of Honor was dumb jock wrestling at the time, and there was no feeder system to go to Florida, to go to FCW, to go to NXT. It was just this weird void of a universe where nobody could escape. I mean, not even the Briscoe brothers couldn't escape because they weren't aesthetically pleasing at the time. This is the era of Ring of Honor we're dealing with here, and it's just not... Not a fun time to look back on, but nor is Untouchable 2012, which now that I've exhausted our notes, I am ready to get into. So am I. So as we mentioned at the top, Untouchable 2012 was on July 28th from the Gibraltar Trade Center in Taylor, Michigan, suburban Detroit. And before we get into the show, because we'll get into the show like just in one second, Case, how would you describe this venue? Bad. I mean, <laughs> look, uh, l- let, me, let me say this. If I was Shima, Akira Tozawa, or Yamato, and I was flown across the world to wrestle in front of people, and I showed up to this venue, I would turn the car around, and I would get back on a plane, and I would go to Japan. <laughs> it's just something that, like, it is a, tr- it's a swap meet. Like, for lack of a better word, it's a swap meet, or a uh, flea market, however you want to look at it. And I just want to, like, just touch on this briefly before we get into the show. It just looks so bad that you could hear other people's voices and, like, you hear PA system through part of it. So just as a sense of where things were, uh, a week before, they were in they were in Kobe World Cannon Hall. And a week after this, or three days after this case, they'll be in Corken Hall in front of full crowds. And instead, they're here, which I couldn't find a number case. I, I guesstimate 80 people, maybe there would you say 80 is a would be a realistic thing i mean i wasn't counting heads and seeing if i count someone twice but 80 people i would say is a realistic like estimate of attendance here you know that sounds really low but then i think about it and that's it's probably a lower estimate but i can't call you crazy for that yeah 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 i mean it was like basically two rows of seats and then one play on three sides of the ring and then maybe five it's just, I, I would be embarrassed if my name was on a show that looked this bad. That's the thing I've never understood about Gabe specifically is like, like the Orpheum at Ybor City, that is not a bad looking venue. But when you throw the house lights on and you say, here's wrestling and you have a canvas that's beat up and that looks old, that looks like something Ian Rodden would use, the Orpheum suddenly, uh, there's no atmosphere. The atmosphere is completely sucked out of the building. I, I understand Central Michigan, not exactly a hotbed of stunning theaters and affordable theaters at that. I, I'm not asking Gabe to run the Palace of Auburn Hills here, but for you to show up again with international talent and to say, okay, guys, knock yourself out on a show that didn't even have the Drangit USA ring canvas. They were using just a plain black canvas that had duct tape on it. I just, I'd be embarrassed. I don't understand just that Gabe never understanding aesthetics. And and it's something that, like, partway through the show, the uh, overhead lights go out across the rest of it. So what you're seeing is an empty flea market and then about maybe 10 feet of curtain around it. And with where they, pardon me, where they positioned the hard cam case, you could see, like, a third of what's going on there. And then you, see, you would see at least 20 feet up of just pitch black or, like, illuminated signs. It looked terrible. It's so bad. It's embarrassing. That's the only that's the only word I can use to describe it. It's embarrassing. Remember when they said they were going to be giving us a premium of uh, they'll be giving a premium experience to their fans? Brother, there was no golden circle here. I'll tell you that much. There was there was a pre-show uh with a local promotion. I do not have that card pulled up, but there was no golden circle fray match to be offered here. This was a rinky-dink looking promotion. 
Yeah, so the two dark matches, I've never heard of any of these people. A Jay Miller defeats Tyler Elkins. A five-way match, Gavin Quinn defeats Cameron Sky with two Ys. Dave Manzo, Dead Vaughn, D-E-D Vaughn, and Tommy Tresnick. And then we start off the show backstage with John Davis. He thanks everyone for the for support at Style Ball, but he says it's when to go home for him. He talks about Yamaha tomorrow and how he's not looking past what he has to do tonight, but he knows he has to defeat Yamaha tomorrow, and he has a Felix the Cat t-shirt. So that's where the, those were the stakes, even after winning the uh, style battle and how things were. John Davis was like, I have to win or go home. I have to win and go home, and that's how we start off the show. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand the direction they were going with John Davis at this point. I mean, Gabe remarked, and, and I, he was having a conversation with Dave Meltzer around this time where – you know, the weekend where Davis wrestled Finley and Loki, Gabe called it a do or die weekend for John Davis. It's like, I don't know, like eight years after the fact, we've been watching these shows and we've been going, oh my God, do more with John Davis. And it sounds like he could have lost his job had those matches not delivered. And now we say, if he loses, he retires. It's just, I, I would rather have this guy kick ass. I, I don't know. It's a very simple story to be told with John Davis. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then we go, we go to the match. The first match was John Davis defeats Jake Manning in four minutes and 49 seconds with the three seconds of the world. Before the match, Chuck Taylor comes out with the theme that now he kind of comes out with for the remainder of his time on the Indies. And it's always a theme like, oh, that's Chuck me out there. He's accompanied by Jake Manning. He grabs a microphone and he said, the swamp monster is missing. And he has Jake Manning here to help him go find him tonight. But before they go out there, Jake Manning, the man scout, is going to teach him how to start a fire. And the one big thing they said, Case, is you do not use water to put out a fire. I knew this is someone who's gone camping before. Did you know that you use dirt or sand to put out a fire? Mike, I live in fear of fire on literally a daily basis. Now, I'm not saying I could successfully put out a fire if one occurred, but I was aware of this information. Okay, okay, okay. So he's like, do not do this. And then eventually Swan ran to the ring as if this was going kind of long, started to beat down, pulled Chuck to the back. Then out came John Davis for this match. And John Davis, as I said, won three seconds around the world. And it's just like, it was a five minute match that didn't need to be five minutes. It, it should have been, at least in my opinion case, it should have been John Davis dominates. You get like one hope spot in just one, like one like brief comeback. And then he puts him away and said it, he had like two stretches of getting back in the match. I was like, no, no, this should not be happening. Wrap it up. And, that's their first appearance of Jake Manning on the show. I can't believe you're telling me this went five minutes, and I'm looking at it now, and that is correct. I thought this match was closer to ten minutes, because I completely agree. Davis oh, I think the times on here just... are wrong, by the way. I think the times aren't here are wrong, especially when we get into like later matches. Davis just went out, and he should have killed this guy, but instead he kind of had a back-and-forth match with Jake Manning. It just made no sense. The the one bright spot here, because I, I marked it up as like a non-rating squash match, even though it went you know possibly as long as it did. John Davis did a delayed vertical suplex spot where the crowd was counting how many seconds uh, Jake Manning was up in the air, and that hit me with a wave of nostalgia to the Michael Elgin days on the independence. I don't feel like I've seen a delayed vertical suplex spot in years now. And John Davis was busting one out in 2012. Yeah. Yeah. I remember actually being at the uh, King of trios where Claudio Castanelli allegedly did a hundred rotation giant swing. Everyone loves counting in shows. It's great. I love it more, <laughs> more. That's what wrestling needs now. Instead of meme wrestlers, we need someone like doing something impressive and you let the crowd count. They love it. Everyone loves to count. 
there was, I remember, uh, I, I've been on the pro wrestling only archives a lot lately for uh, various reasons, but there was a thread about Michael Elgin in there. And there's a comment that has always stuck with me of, you know, this poster once saw Elgin work at like a non-smart fan indie show. And he tried to do the delayed vertical suplex spot and nobody understood it. Nobody counted. It was just a silent 45 second suplex. And I've never seen that happen in person, but that visual has always made me laugh. It's something where it's uh, it, it it's great seeing that like like how can't you enjoy it? So yeah, this match just kind of went on forever. I I slapped a two on there, did not think much about it. You going with like the not rated squash totally makes sense. Uh, after the match, we had Rich Swan and Chuck Taylor now fight out to the fight out there, and then eventually the bell rang, and the bell by the way was a sound effect that they played over the PA system, and we had Chuck Taylor versus Rich Swan. Uh, Rich Swan allegedly won in seven minutes and forty-seven seconds by disqualification because Chuck Taylor had Rich Swan in the cross crab into the ropes and did not let go at five. Mike, what do we think here? I mean, like they did like all the crowd brawling, which like shit because there was no one there, and then they were doing stuff, and then, and then apparently they were doing weapon spots, but as soon as they got in the ring, maybe this was another Evolution's Ends match, and they didn't <laughs> announce it as such, because Chuck Taylor would have been disqualified that way. I'm glad you said that, because I was really confused. I mean, Taylor blatantly uses a ladder in this match, and I just felt right. like I yeah. missed something, because it was just promoted they as a grudge match. Yeah, it was, it was really strange, and I don't... I, I don't know. I was disappointed with the finish because I thought these two had really good chemistry and I thought we were just going to get a really good match. I understand, especially after blowing through Gargano versus Taylor so quickly on the Evolve show, why you would maybe want to prolong some of the Taylor versus Ronan action. So I, I get the finish in a sense, but because the match was so good prior to that, it was a really deflating finish. Yeah, it's just was something that like I was it, it went from a match that I was like this could be like a really fun like three star early thing to go like I was all right with that and the finish happened it was just like we thought it was a grudge match and you're doing the lamest DQ possible because you don't want to do a clean finish and it sucked and it like went from like a three star to a two and a half star match in my books like it was like one of that that bad of a finish for me to like knock off half a star rating for it because like they did. They'd have great chemistry. These two guys have great chemistry, and they were going for it, but just look, you, you just had like the weird thing of that you had a DQ for no good reason uh, in a match that we thought that was no DQ. Not only do they have good chemistry, but I will say this. I guess I, I, I was going to say I reiterate this point, but I don't think I've made it on this podcast. Rich Swan is an excellent brawler. I still adore the Johnny Gargano versus Rich Swan match. I believe it's Evolve 33, which was in a back alley in Florida. It was in the back of an apartment complex, basically. It was Gabe was like running like a grimy custom show, essentially. But there's this Gargano versus Swan match where they're just, I mean, it's they're using the earth. They're throwing mulch at each other. They're, you know, throwing each other into this cobblestone pillar. Like, it's unbelievable the elements that they incorporated. And I always looked at that as an essential Rich Swan match because I thought he was so good as this ferocious brawler. And it's not necessarily something that I think like he hasn't been put in a lot of opportunities, but I think it's a, a position that he always shines when he's in those positions. And while this wasn't necessarily a plunder heavy match, it was really heated. It was a brawl. And I think he works great in that environment. I'd almost like to see him. I would like a version of his career where that happened more. Whereas someone like Sammy Callahan, and I've talked about this a lot previously, 
like Callahan was typecast as a brawler, and I think it's the worst thing to ever happen to him because Callahan's a good wrestler in a mediocre brawler. But for some reason, people was like, "Oh, that's the brawling guy. Let's put him in a walking brawl," and it's it's a real bummer. And it's something that like Chuck has always been, and I think we finally everyone's knowledge one of the great plunder brawlers of this time. And you just like sit there like these two guys like had it going and you know, one you didn't build it up at like that, and then two, you just kind of just had a super flat finish. And it's something that I mean, like, as we said before, like Rich Swan, like is now the fully fledged Rich Swan at this point. And Chuck Taylor, you know, it's not that he doesn't like improve, he's just always kind of the same level, I would say. And it's just kinda of like, okay, what are we doing here? And this was like the big thing, like, what are we doing here over like the first half of this? Because then we had Christina von Erie come out with a microphone. And this had, like, a really weird promo because Gargano came out for the save and, like, pulled Chuck off of um, – because uh, they – they it was just, like, this weird thing. Where, like, Gargano then came out. Like, this is Gabe trying to flow things early, and then he quits flowing things, you know, guys? Like, how he likes doing that. And then Christina Von Erie came out with a microphone, cut a per- terrible promo, uh, spit into Johnny Gargano's face, and then for, like, once we did not have Gabe intergender violence on the show, and it just was absolutely garbage. Like, this first, like, half of the show, and it's not going to get much better from here. Like, that's a frustrating thing. Like, there are some peaks here, but we're not going to reach a peak just yet. I, I'm very confused by Christina Von Eri on these shows. I just don't know. I like her. I think she's talented. I don't know what she adds to this promotion at this time in her specific role. And, and like, she's fine later on as, like, just a full-on manager. And, like, I think it's, like, oh, she, Gabe, liked her and thought that she would be a good fit for Mad Blanky when Mad Blanky, you have Akira Tozawa. He's practically fluent. Well, that's the thing. Christina Von Eri can't talk. At least she can't talk in this role, and you have Akira Tozawa. So it really does not make any sense to me. Yeah, I I just don't. It's nonsensical. And then... We get a Bushido 2011 video. I'm not even going to look back to see how long it is. This is just how things are. I've actually reached a point, Case, in these shows where I fast-forward through the like the four-minute-long music videos. Just because I'm like, I'm getting through this, I'm getting through this, I'm getting through this. Like Usually I would sit down, or if that's going to be a time for me to make a sandwich, I'll make a sandwich. Not bothering. Not bothering this. I just fast-forward through it. And then we had our next match. It was the Super Smash Brothers making their DGUSA debut against the scene of Larry Dallas. Super Smash Brothers won with the fatality in 12 minutes and 43 seconds and super smash brothers destroy the entry on the way in the entrance way yeah the super smash brothers not a team uh that i would describe as graceful but a team i would describe as very very good and this is them at the peak of their powers they are coming off of a rocket pack push and pwg a week before this show they were in what I think is the greatest ladder match of all time, where it was them against the Young Bucks and Future Shock at three men to three. I just I I think it's one of the best independent wrestling matches ever. And I think it's maybe the best ladder match ever. So this is SSB at the peak of their power as they had been floating around and evolved for about a year at this point. They finally get their Dragon USA debut. And the match is fine. I mean it was nice to see the scene have a straight wrestling match, something that didn't feel as gimmicky. But then you also have to deal with the scene having a straight wrestling match that isn't as gimmicky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not a lot of chemistry with them. 
and like it like started pretty like i was kind of happy to start this to see the scene because it was like some normalcy on the show to begin with i was like <laughs> oh there's larry I, I we're on a dgusa show now and then it just was like these two teams didn't have like any chemistry like there was like a moment where like they went for the obscene but uh player uno was clearly in the ropes and then they still did like a kick out and the referee didn't see that and then it just kind of fell apart from there and really wanted this to be a lot better than what it was like i was really like at this point i was like i need something to seek my teeth into and it just was not this yeah because i really liked taylor versus swan but then the finish let me down so i couldn't even chalk that up as a victory and then these two teams come out here and like there's a moment where the Super Smash Brothers are doing that get over here, like catapult belly to belly suplex. And I think it's Conley they're trying to suplex and things just go poorly. And Conley kind of ends up scorpioning himself, scor- scorpioning himself on that suplex. He eats shit quite honestly and falls on his neck. And it was just like, ugh, like I want both of these teams to go out there and kill it. I know these four guys are talented, but it, it's exactly what you said. It's bad chemistry. It's a, it's a three-star match for a team for, for teams that are capable of having a four-star match, another frustrating match on Untouchable 2012. Yeah, and then we got a Yamato return video, which was nice. Again, I'm getting some normalcy here. Okay, so we got, like, sprinkles of normalcy here, so I was, like, wondering, like, did, did we not, like, secretly watch, like, Crypto Evolve 17? No, we didn't, because Yamato came out for Ricochet versus Yamato. First, it was Ricochet. He said he was wrestling in protest. He's not happy that tomorrow he'll be wrestling for the vacated open the united gate championship we'll talk more about why it's vacated next week when he's never lost it smart angle uh ricochet has never been a very good promo but this was at least effective in saying like hey i've never lost a united gate match when i win this match i will be the three-time and undefeated open the united gate champion he's like i'm i'm not happy right now and you know that like that that was something that was like a good use of time here like ricochet has legitimate grudge here i mean case this guy never lost an open the united gate match and he got the title like removed from him twice and instead of like letting him pick a partner because he's never lost the match gabe's making him have an- another title match so ricochet really bothered me in this promo and this match for one he's wearing his really blood- yeah so for one he's wearing his blood warriors tights which yeah, just, that, that is true. That God, is true. I don't know why that bugged me as much as it did. But that's the type of shit that, you know why it bothers me? Because that's the type of shit that would never happen in Japan. Ricochet would never come through the curtain wearing red Blood Warriors tights when he's in the middle of being a World 1 International. And that's the kind of stuff that Dragon USA, it just, oh, yeah, it's just, you know, it's just the gear, whatever. But you lose the entire feel and flavor of the promotion. And I, I guess I understand your perspective on the Ricochet promo, him rightfully being bitter and being upset. It, it wasn't, and I, I want to be clear, it was not Ricochet doing like some work shoot bro promo, but I felt like there was a way to spin this to where Ricochet wasn't essentially shitting on the titles, which is, I think, what he did. I think in his, uh, perhaps his tone or his rage, he came across going like, man, these belts are stupid. Like, I keep on having all these partners and it means nothing. Whereas I, I would have liked maybe a bit more of a fighting champion. I'll, who doesn't matter who my partner is. I'll defend the belts. They're my belts. I've always held them since the inception or, you know, since shortly thereafter. So 
it's just, I, it was a missed opportunity all the way around, and then I thought he and Yamato worked a match at half speed. Now, granted, it's him and Yamato at half speed. They're still better than most guys on their best day. But we saw, you know, two years after the fact, these guys were capable of much better matches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I had my pen out, Case, because you know we haven't had one of these in a while. Losing the distinct feel of Dragon Gate USA. I feel like this show, we could say, that's a cardinal sin that this has felt like that. I mean, because you're absolutely right. There's no reason why Ricochet would not have not worn the proper gear here. Like, the time that he brought his Blood Warriors gear back to team up with Shima, they gave him, like, a weird look saying, oh, you're wearing this? I didn't know you could fit in this. But also saying, like, why are you wearing a Blood Warriors thing? You're no longer in Blood Warriors. So, with all this being said, this whole epi- this whole show, I would say, is a cardinal sin because it started the backslide. Are you willing to agree with me on this? Yes, I think that's a fair assessment. Getting out my black pen and my notebook, Cardinal Sin does not feel like a Dragon Gate USA. Does not feel like a Dragon Gate thing anymore. No, okay. I mean, and you then can't even the have, match- you know... Uh, oh, go ahead, Mike. I was just going to get into the match, but it, if you want to further go on at this point, I'm totally down. No, I was going to get into the match as well, so go ahead. All right, yeah. Yeah, so the match itself... Maybe I'm a little bit higher on you. Maybe and maybe that was just I was just like desperately like trying to grab onto anything about this. Uh, we had Yamato come out here looking insane with like his eye black and the whole towel thing, which I mean, kind of like how Kamikaze was never a heel unit in Japan, but Kamikaze USA were the big bad heels. Maybe that's what Akatsuki and, and they're like, oh yeah, you're no longer this thing. Oh, you're Yamato, you're a heel now. So we have a. He, uh, we have a heel Yamato in, in America and a face Yamato in Japan. Uh, it, it was something where I felt like it was just like real effective kind of like heat. And I felt like Ricochet did a good job of like selling said heat. And then like they had like a great flourish. And I mean, this match was only like 11 minutes. Uh, Yamato won with a spear of all things in 11 minutes. And I feel like this was like the first match on the show that I say that was well worked. And I went three and, and a quarter stars. I will say I I thought Yamato's spear looked excellent. That was a great finish to a match. That I ended, see, I ended up going three and a half on this. I liked the match. It's just, you know, it's Yamato and Ricochet. You expect a little bit better. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so by by far at this point, the best match on the show. After this match, uh, John Davis comes out to congratulate him and warns him about tomorrow. It's all about survival. Then Yamato low blows him and chokes him out. And since it's a live cut... They stayed on John Davis, regaining consciousness and slowly going to the back for about a good solid two and a half minutes of that. Mike, what the hell was this? I mean, what? <laughs> what the fuck, man? John Davis is your big, unstoppable monster who, in the ECW arena, threw Pinky Sanchez like a football from the ring up the entranceway. And Yamato just choked this dude out with ease. This is not building a match. That was the match. Yamato already won. What is this? <laughs> Yamato has just proved that he's still the baddest man in Dragon Gate USA, didn't he? I mean, he, was, he comes out with... I and Yamato came across like like he was Mirko Krokop. I've never seen a tougher fighter than in that moment where he just snapped his fingers and choked out John Davis. It was humiliating. And then they kept the camera on him. Like, how are you supposed to keep John Davis seriously when you keep a camera on someone for like three minutes? I'm not exaggerating in case I say three minutes. They stayed on him forever. They did not do a cut to the back. That it, when they had a DGUSA promo that was playing right after this, why didn't they cut to the back for the DGUSA promo instead of had this? And this is when they had this entire show where they would linger, like when someone lost, like linger watching them go to the back for 
unnecessary time when it just makes things people go like why am i why is this happening like it's not like oh this person lost and he's going back it was it, am i off on is this just me on on the ledge here thinking that this was insane like you just had this guy that you've built up so much first get completely dominated by Mirko yamato and then two <laughs> you, you further watch this guy for another it, it, i'm not exaggerating it was like two to three minutes no that's insane the f- the show late, the final cut of Untouchable 2012, it's like a two-hour, 50-minute show that realistically could be cut down. You could keep all of the DVD previews. You could keep all of the backstage stuff. If you just cut out the dead time between the matches, though, you're shaving 10 minutes off of the show. It, it, it It's kind of insane. And then you, you cut off all the five-minute long videos case, and we're talking about two and a half hours here. That's the sweet spot. Remember when Dragon Gate USA shows used to be like two hours and five minutes? Oh, they were great. I, I G-Funk, oh you were tremendous to us. <laughs> All right. So then we go to the back. Big match tonight with Generico and Samurai. They are doing a promo that uh, Generico is getting in and out of English and Spanish. Generico is mad at Tazawa for sending Von Eri after him, and we'll get him tomorrow. And then we go into... So we have that promo, and then we have DUF of Eric Cannon and Pinky Sanchez versus. I have to look up these guys' names because this is the probably first and last time I'll ever see them. Uh, Derek Rise with a Z and Nate Matson. Nate spelled N with a, with and an, then the with number. A number eight. I was gonna say with a number eight. <laughs> um, I feel like I've seen Derek Rise work before. I don't think i have do you think he's been on shows that we've missed no i don't know where i've seen him i gotta i gotta quickly scroll through his cage match to kind of figure out what exactly i've seen Derek rise and maybe i have it because it doesn't look like his cage match is full of that many matches but uh uh he, yeah this he, he was on a couple of evolve shows he was on a couple of evolve and, and he FIP works shows. he works open the ultimate gate 2013 as well and bushido code of the warrior 2013 so it's not even the last time we will see Derek rise in this series I will say up top, the DUF act, which I have defended since its inception, does not work when Sammy Callahan is not there. Callahan was on tour with Big Japan at the time, and let me tell you, I am so turned off by Cannon and Pinky by themselves. I just, I hated this. It's just so, it it was awful. This was a match for sake of having another match on the show, and then, uh, they do nothing for about this match was listed at eight minutes it felt a lot longer than eight minutes to be honest it felt like this match just went on forever because like i was hating myself during this more so than usual and then eric Cannon has a microphone he isn't happy about sammy's suspension he then introduces masada for reasons and he says he's now a member of duf masada is not joining any group and then cannon forced pinky to dress him down cannon walks out and then pinky sanchez challenges masada Masada makes his DG USA debut in Taylor, Michigan, defeating Pinky Sanchez in, a, in five minutes and 57 seconds. And it just, yeah, this match sucked. I think Masada's one of the worst wrestlers ever. Uh, and at this point, just to give you context for Masada in 2012, he's the current CZW champion. He had just one tournament of death and IWA East Coast Masters of Pain. And as I wrote in my notes, I found this to be offensively bad. Yeah, uh, this was terrible. This is it's a different kind of terrible than what we were seeing with Sabu. This was just like, why are we even here for this? Uh, he won with an SDF. Uh, then we go backstage. 
Gar- it was with Johnny Gargano. Johnny Gargano says, a lot of people are asking questions. They can say what they want because the belt is on his shoulder and Tozawa's for a front, is in for a fight. So, Case, what was what's going on in the life of Johnny Gargano at this time? So Johnny Gargano was heavily rumored to be signing with WWE at this point in his career. Uh, we'll talk about a lot next week how Pac was signed primarily. I mean, he was a name on the scene, but after the Prince Devitt Best of the Super Juniors match, it was kind of like, oh, full court press, we need to sign this guy. The rumor going around at the time was that Pac and Gargano would be signing their contracts together and reporting to Florida at the same time. And obviously, uh, as as we go along in this series, that does not happen. Gargano does not sign for another four years, I believe. But it was heavily rumored and almost implied at the time that Gargano was FCW bound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's something that I do believe his first contract was up. So it is something that... You know, it was a legitimate concern. But then we go back into the ring with a next match. It is El Generico and Samurai del Sol. It's a face-off against AR Fox and Shima. Shima got the pen on Samurai del Sol after 26 minutes and 33 seconds with a Meteora immediately after a low main pain. In case, finally, we have something that feels like DGUSA on the show. This was really good. I really like this Generico del Sol team. And, you know, they, they team pretty extensively in this promotion, I guess, given the promotion's lifespan, because, well, I, I guess I shouldn't say that. I think we get one more tag with them together, so maybe I shouldn't say that. But I wish we got a prolonged run. I mean, in a perfect universe, we get a generic El Samurai Del Sol Summer Adventure Tag League run. It's just these two worked really well together, and I thought it was smart of Gabe, after doing the first two singles matches, to team them up. And to have them go against a Shima AR Fox team that I also really enjoyed. There was just a lot to like in this match. Yeah, and the th- talking about Sal Sol, he looks so much more comfortable here than he was in Miami. And I know that it's one of those things that... It's night and day. It, 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 it It's very much night and day. And it's something that I think that maybe it, it is something that it was the tension of it. And if you notice, like, how, how he was used in... DG USA and we talked about things like he was moved around a lot after that match in Hollywood so maybe Gabe noticed this and kind of eased him in and having a match with Shima like if you're someone like Del Sol Shima's the person that you want to kind of do because that's the kind of stuff that Shima likes doing and then there was like crazy this was like a craziest thing Fox and Shima also are a really fun team as well Air Fox crashed and burned bad onto the concrete that looked really brutal. And there was like this monkey flip 450, which was something I've never seen before. That was insane that El Generico and Samurai Del Sol did great finishing stretch. And I felt like that this is, this did, did not save the show, but it was nice to say like, okay, there's, if you're going through this thing and you're looking at like what matches are to watch, like just watch this one match on the show and you're done because I really like this. I want four and a quarter stars on it. I went four and a quarter as well, and it's interesting. This match could have gone much, much worse because there's two spots here. One, AR Fox does that springboard and inverted 450 to the floor, and he kind of overshoots his targets and hits the back of his head really hard on the concrete floor. That was really ugly. And then at some point right after that, and I did not, I, I do not remember the move that it happened on, but Generico goes to the back and leaves the match for a minute. And you can tell when Generico's in the back, they clearly, 
I, they're not struggling to improvise, but they don't know what the next step is. And then Generico comes back with a taped up shoulder. And from there, they're able to have the match they had. So, you know, two guys get hurt seemingly pretty bad in this match. And they're still able to accomplish what I thought was, you know, a four and a quarter star match and just a really fun tag match that fit the feel of Drangate USA in a way that literally nothing on this show had up to this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good point. Uh, Post-match, this is one of those all-time, like, just, like, funny things that have happened in this promotion that's just like, okay. Uh, She misses the Air Foxes. Excellent. And that he's going to bring Air Fox to the next level, like Ricochet. And then he says, like, oh, uh, Fox, cut the rest of this promo. And then he does so. And it was very much like Seamus is like, that's all I was going to say. I'm done here. And Air Fox did not know what to do with that. I will say, you know, Fox, I'm not going to say he fumbled the ball on the handoff, but he didn't exactly break up field for a big score. But this did feel like a big moment for Air Fox. Yes, yes, and we'll get into, because I believe it's coming up after this, it'll probably be in the next few weeks' shows, uh, A.R. Fox's Magical Journey in Japan. That's coming up soon, and it is and it is partly because of his good teamwork of Shima, and it is a trip. Uh, that That is one way of saying it, yes. <laughs> well, well, it's less that it was not a trip whatsoever in one way, but it was a trip in another way, if you get what I'm doing there, Case. Uh, Mike, I do understand the joke you're making. Although AR Fox once said on I I I, I no, it was a Johnny Gargano once said on the Kevin Steen show interview that when Fox went to Japan, didn't try to smuggle anything, didn't smoke weed, uh, you know, was was playing by their rules, and that is perhaps why he only did two tours there. <laughs> and there you go. And then we get into the main event. This is for the Open the Freedom Gate Championship. Johnny Gargano versus Akira Tozawa. Johnny Gargano submits Akira Tozawa in a listed 25 minutes and 40 seconds by the Gargano escape after two Hertz donuts. And it's it's an interesting match. It's a match that I believe they revisit this later on. But at this time, it just was like kind of like, a oh, this match is happening. And you kind of see where Tozawa is versus where, a, uh, where Johnny Gargano is. They actually would revisit this match next year in the fourth anniversary show. So almost a year later, they revisit this match. So interesting. It's an interesting match. I, I went three and three quarters. I thought this was very good, but it wasn't special. Look, I liked this match, but like I said earlier, I've been reading a lot of pro wrestling only forum posts lately. And for those that don't know, PWO was this forum that idolizes Memphis and Puerto Rico and Wolfie D and, you know, just whatever I would I, like Southern wrestling and just old school shit. And they don't like the new stuff. And I was reading a 2015 thread about Johnny Gargano. And this man was getting eaten alive by the posters on this website because they were not into Johnny Gargano. And I was read those posts that I watched this match. I will say that I like this match, but I also understood watching this Maybe why some people didn't like Johnny Gargano. Now, none of those posters were watching Untouchable 2012 from Dragon USA. I know that for a fact. I'm like, I don't think anybody watched this show besides us and the 80 people that were there. <laughs> but watching this match, it is a lot of Gargano no-selling, a lot of fighting spirit spots. And I think the issue is just how long they go because this is a really long, almost 30-minute match. But they come out swinging for the fences. I mean, they work it like it's going to be a G1 sprint. And then it just, 
I don't know what kept on going. There were just a lot of moves in this match, and while there were some high points there, I mean, Akira Tozawa once again hitting the apron German suplex on on Johnny Ooh, Gargano. It was gross. It's, uh, just a, a, a gnarly spot. That's the only way you can describe it. But I went three and three quarters as well. It was a really good but not great match, and I really have to reevaluate the way I think about Johnny Gargano historically because of this project. Because, you know, Gargano comes across like a star because of the way he talks. I think if you had to break down Ronan, you know, Rich Swan I think, is far and away the best worker at this point. Chuck Taylor's off in his own little universe. He kind of is, is, he's a good worker, a good talker. He's not really great at either. I just, I was expecting great Johnny Gargano matches by 2012, and we're not getting those. And it's really strange. I thought by this point he would be in the worker of the year conversation, but he's just not. And it's it's weird. I really thought by this time, I thought by the time he beat Yamato, it was like, okay, every Gargano match from here on out is going to be a match of the year contender. And that has just not been the case. It's something that I'll be interested to see you go through this because my mindset of when Gargano really turned it on was over many a week in, in 2013. That was when I felt like that he really kind of became the person, especially the Shingo match. Like, that was the one that was like, the remainder of his run was set, and he was doing excellent stuff. But at this time, like, I still kind of view him as, like, the prospect who's handed the football, and and it's like, it's early, but let's see what we can do with it here. And I feel like that's what we got out of this match. Yeah, it's, I, I, I think my recollection of the promotion was that WrestleMania week in 2013, that's like Gargano ascending to almost this like godly level. But it really seems like now it's like, oh, that's when Gargano becomes Gargano. And then he has all these good matches after that, just through various promotions. But I've been a little bit disappointed with Gargano here. And quite honestly, had they put the title on Akira Tozawa here, done Tozawa versus Generico for the belt the next night, and just, you know, continue with the non-title Gargano versus Taylor match, I wouldn't have complained at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm with you with that. And, you know, this is it, it, it's a match that I'm going to be looking forward to when we revisit this match. Let's see how many shows that is. I think that's like only like eight shows from now. We'll be getting the next one. Yeah, it is uh, the fourth anniversary special. It is actually nine shows. So, and not, no, I'm sorry. I can't count right now. <laughs> Ten shows we'll be revisiting in this case. And revisiting this matchup. And I'll be real interested to see how it comes across. Because I feel like that that's coming right off of when I feel like he ascends here. And then, you know, the next uh, 10 shows, I mean, early or the rest of 2012 and into 2013, I don't think he gets there yet. So it'll be real interesting to me. Let's talk about this post-match promo. What do you think of it? I thought that, like, this was, like, like when I talked about earlier about how this was the lull between the third wave of the Indies, as I put it, like how there was the ROH wave, and then that kind of went away, and then we had, like, the next wave of people like Davey and, like, all that, and then it all kind of, like, petered out in 2012 when, interestingly enough, Danielson finally leaves, or 2011 when Danielson finally leaves. Now he acknowledges it, he points out, uh, he, he points he points to all the crowd, he talks about a kid who's there, talks about how indie wrestling he does like the indie wrestling raw raw thing. Talk about the indies dying. He says he's gonna be the captain of the ship. He's gonna be the one that takes it to the next level, and he's the one that he's not gonna leave because he loves independent wrestling. Very much kind of like the promo that everyone makes fun of that Drew Galloway cuts like two years from from this two or three years from this point. 
And then Chuck and uh, Jake Ming attack. Rich Swan makes the save. And then it's, they have this. No, it's not Rich Swan, sorry. It is. Then the swamp monster comes out. It's Chuck all along. He gives an awful waffle. Shima comes from the save. And then he hands over the Freedom Gate to Giant Gargano. Gargano selling. So Shima, who did not really want to talk a lot this, this night, had to do the go home of that. So I thought the Johnny part, Johnny promo about this was, uh, was pretty strong, if you ask me. Yeah, so Gargano cuts a great kind of rally the troops promo. It's really funny to me that he's talking about indie wrestling being dead when we just talked about shows that had Loki, Finley, Ricochet, El Generico, uh, Samurai Del Sol, among others on them. It just, you know, what a long way we've fallen. So he cuts this great promo. Now, Mike, here's where I was confused. He gets cut off by Jake Manning and then a second person that looked like Chuck Taylor. And Gargano throws what I'm... So Gargano throws Taylor to the outside. Uh, Man Scout, by the way, Jake Manning got a ton of offense in on Gargano. It was maddening to watch him <laughs> just destroying the champion. But then yeah. the, the Swamp Monster comes in and awful waffles Gargano. I just... I, I, I felt like point A was Chuck Taylor running in. Point C was the Swamp Monster. And I missed why Chuck Taylor felt the need to put on a ghillie suit to hit a move that he could have hit without the ghillie suit. I'm just very confused about this post-match angle. Well, as with much stuff with Chuck Taylor and the Gentleman's Club, it was very confusing. I think he rolled to the outside after he got ditched outside, rolled under the ring where the ghillie suit was there, put it on, jumped back in, and then did the awful waffle. But just why? It's Chuck Taylor. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't add anything to the angle. I was. I had to watch this, Mike. I watched this three times because I was so confused as to. What oh, I watched was it happening. twice. I watched it twice. It was so bad. It was confusing. Like I watched it twice. I'm with you on that. It's it's something that like, I I think we're now in the point of uh, at least his run in DGUSA for the most part that Chuck Taylor's kind of just there, like. Gabe's never going to have very many plans because of what happened and what happened in Miami. It was clear that like he kind of stuck his neck out for him, but he's going to be his own little universe, I feel like, for the remainder of the time in the promotion. This is the worst Drangit USA show we've seen up to this point. I had previously in Easily. that spot Uprising 2011, but that had the main event of Pac versus Swan versus Ricochet. That had AR Fox versus Akira Tozawa and also... Nothing on that show was as bad as, say, Masada versus Pinky Sanchez or Jake Manning versus John Davis. There wasn't an angle dumb, uh, quite as dumb as the Yamato versus John Davis angle. This is the worst show we've seen up to this point. It was really bad. Yeah, this is by far the worst show currently in DGUSA history, but we might not have to go too long to have to consider what's going to be the next worst show in DGUSA history. Case. Let's run down this intro of the Dragon 2012 third anniversary celebration show before we get out of here. Yes, third anniversary celebration, the final show that Dragon Gate USA ran from the Congress Theater in Chicago, Illinois. We open up with a match that uh, if the other surroundings going on right now didn't make me question my own existence enough, we are going to have to watch Masada versus Jake Manning. 
Also on this show, Zero Gravity versus The Scene, Shane Hollister versus Samurai Del Sol, the DUF versus the Super Smash Brothers, an I Quit non-title match with Chuck Taylor and Johnny Gargano, John Davis versus Yamato, El Generico versus Akira Tozawa, and the Open the United Gate title match for the vacant Open the United Gate belts, AR Fox and Shima versus Ricochet and Rich Swan. I kind of feel like if we could edit these two shows together, we probably would have a pretty decent DGUSA show. Now, like, not a great one. Like, I know in the past, we're like, oh, no, if we take this and add this, it's, it would be a great show. We'd have something passable with this weekend. I mean, yeah, but all of the good stuff involves AR Fox and Shima, El Generico, or Rich Swan, or I guess, yeah, I just... It, the the cards are are too reliant on the same four or five guys even like the best super show version of this i th- still think you need to have Cannon and sanchez in the scene and probably fucking masada because why not it's 2012 and masada's the face of indie wrestling there's just i there's just, it's a bad combination of talent no i'm absolutely with you on that and you know, let's get out of here. We 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 went about we went just over an hour here. I had a feeling we're gonna go short. There's no reason to really belabor the point here. Up, uh, this was it for uh, the episode 33 of Rewind and Rewatch. Uh, you could follow me on Twitter at Fujiheya. You can follow Case on Twitter at underscore your case. And you can follow us jointly at the podcast account at, at Open Voice Gate. For Case, I'm Mike. We'll catch you next time. Open the Voice Gate. Take care. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.